if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of Scripture. We read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting the second half of verse 7. Each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who is an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Why was any man called when he was already circumcised he is not to become uncircumcised has anyone been called in uncircumcision he is not to be circumcised circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God each man must remain in the condition in which he was called were you called while a slave do not worry about it but if you are able also to become free rather do that for he who was called in the Lord while, he, while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again before we look to God's word this morning. Holy Spirit, we now ask that you would empower me to declare your truth, that you would grace us with ears to hear, hearts of understanding, that whatever our place in life is, that we would bloom where we have been planted. Minister to the souls of your people, we pray. Bring to life all who remain dead in their trespasses and sins to trust in your Son, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Each has his own gift from God title comes directly from the text. Um, I, I 
probably subtitle this, um, In Christ, All Stations of Life Are Sacred Before the Face of God. Uh, Before we look at the text, all the situations Sean just read um, represent um, harder than usual circumstances. And, And Paul addresses each one not, if you noticed, not as some separate breakout session for individual groups, but rather his instructions are addressed to the church as a whole, to the body of Christ. The entire church would have been assembled when this Holy Spirit-inspired letter was read, just as we're assembled here this morning together is the body of Christ, Um, we are hearing together the words of Christ. Inspired scripture, um, we're taking in um, together. The point being, um, all these situations are are happening within the body of Christ. And as such, are relevant to the entire church body of Christ. Christ. Therefore, the wrong way to listen to this passage of Scripture is to say, um, I only need to heed the part that applies to me. Or, I can rest my mind because none of these things apply to me. Okay, not so. Right? Because as a church body, uh, what affects some has to do with us all. What affects some has to do with us all so um, that we, we all need to listen so that we can be more tenderly aware of one another in order to pray, care for, and serve one another in Christ. Ray reminded us this morning in Sunday school, the church persecuted. When it happens to them, it happens to us, for we are the body of Christ. We all in? All right. It applies to all of us. So whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whatever the case may be, it applies to us all. So take heed. Now, um, by way of reminder, I'm entering chapter 7. We read these words. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, that's chapter 7, verse 1. Okay, now the Corinthians, the the Christians there in Corinth, um, wrote Paul um, either asking specific questions or they wrote making certain assertions, one or the other. Okay, whichever the case, Paul is responding to what they wrote to him. And he uses this expression, now concerning, okay, now concerning this, now concerning that. That phrase we see six different times from chapter 7, verse 1, um, through chapter 16. 
And all of them indicate either a question, an assertion, or an assumption that the Corinthians had made. In verse 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Touch is a euphemism for sexual intercourse. Okay? Now, this is not a suggestion of Paul. This is not an imperative that, that comes from Paul. Rather, this was a Corinthian slogan. Back in chapter 6, in verse 12, there was another slogan. All things are lawful for me. Verse 13, food is for the stomach, stomach is for the food. In other words, sex is for the body and body is for sex. All things are lawful for me. Those sayings do not come from Paul, they came from the Corinthians. And Paul is addressing those particular matters, those slogans. Now, we have to maintain um, a big picture idea of what was going on here in Corinth. Within this sexually perverted culture, um, the pendulum swung one way in the minds of these Corinthian Christians, some who were claiming all things are lawful for me because I'm in Christ, all things are lawful. I'm not bound under the law. That slogan became license for some for immorality, sexual immorality. I'm free in Christ. I'm not under the law. And they were, some, were involved with temple prostitutes. Whereas on the opposite end, others who wanted to distance themselves from the world, this perverse society, they concluded that the spiritual high ground was to cut off all physical relationships, even within marriage. That was the other end of the pendulum, okay? Now, those who were married actually thought it was more spiritual to add to their marriage a form of asceticism, celibacy within marriage. <laughs> it was being pushed by some is the norm for the Christian life. But marriage, as we learned a couple weeks ago, marriage without sex, that is for those who are physically able, is not only unnatural, it is forbidden. So in summary, uh, Paul, he, he's calling those who are married to remain fully married. Okay, we get this, right? Remain fully married, enjoy the benefits that God has blessed you with within the marriage covenant. That is full conjugal rights of both the husband and the wife. So that's where we left off um, two weeks ago. Now here in verse 7, notice when Paul states that he has the divine gift of celibacy, notice there, and, and he wishes that all others had it as well. Okay, He's not saying it's because they're not spiritual enough, or they're perhaps not pious enough, but rather regards the kingdom ministry. Paul was able to go at it, that is, preach the gospel, traveling about, suffer in it without the worry of a wife back home worrying about him. That's basically what he means by that. Verse 7b, however, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner 
and another in that. Okay, now from there, Paul will develop his main point, and his main point comes to us at the midpoint of this chapter. Look at it, verse 20. Paul says, each one should remain in the condition he was called. Okay, Back up to verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. Okay, what, what Paul is trying to drive home, beloved, to the hearts of these believers is this. Whatever station of life you are in when Christ calls you to himself, don't try to get out of it. J- just stay there and serve God. Okay? Stay there and serve God because all stations of life are sacred before the face of God and therefore all stations of life are sanctified by God. Are you with me? Okay. Which means by way of example, being in Christ by way of grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, um, caring for children, Raising children, changing diapers all day long is just as sacred as preparing and preaching sermons. Are you with me? There's no difference regarding importance of ministry. That is just as sacred as what I'm doing here right now. So whether you're a mother or you're a missionary, there's no such thing as Christian categories. It's just as much a calling to be a homemaker and a mother as it is a missionary going to Africa. Amen, Ray? Amen, brother. Or to put it another way, uh, when when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, he he does not need to ordinarily, okay, ordinarily give up his secular job and and find a, you know, quote-unquote Christian job. Bloom where you are planted. This is what we're after here. This is what Paul is after, and, and he's using marriage and in certain stations of life with regard to marriage, some, some who have become divorced, some who are single, and so on. So through all of these circumstances, all of these instructions, Paul is pointing his readers to a greater reality than their present status in the here and now. A much greater reality. Be they married Unmarried, widowed, slave, or free. In verse 23, Paul reminds them again and us, you were bought with a what? Price. In verse 24, in whatever condition you're called, serve the Lord in that condition. Because all servants of Christ, all those called by Christ are now bond servants of Christ. Whatever you do, because there's a greater reality in view here, if you look at verse 31, it's that the present form of this world is passing away. It's passing away. Your life is but a vapor, amen. So if you're living, in other words, only focused on this present lifetime as your frame, 
okay, as your framework, you will be looking for ultimate happiness here and now. That is in your current condition, in your present station of life, and when you don't find it, when you don't find happiness there or contentment there, you will be, will be searching about in order to change your status. That will be the temptation. Restlessly, perhaps desperately, seeking and searching and experiencing. Whether it's seeking a new marital status. I'm just done. It's my time. You ever heard that? It's time for me now. Seeking a new location. Or seeking some, you know, different, different thing. When you do that, Paul says, you now become the slaves of men. Verse 23. You become the slaves of men. How? Well, you begin to reason like a pagan. You begin to think like the world, like mere men. You know, uh, you need a new status. You need to seek your happiness. This husband who's been bringing you down all these years, it's your time. Danger, Christian. You know, one of the tragedies in the church of Jesus Christ today is doctrinally shallow Christians, as an example, who, who refuse to digest the solid food of the word. I call them the doctrinally bulimic. They refuse to hold anything down. As soon as they leave, they go barf it up. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever their felt needs aren't being met, what do they begin to do? Look for a new church. First Timothy 4, what are they doing? You know, they're searching to have their felt needs met. Paul talked about this in 1 Timothy 4. They accumulate for themselves teachers in order to suit their own passions. So Paul is reminding us, don't get drawn into that small-framed, myopic way of thinking. Don't think like that, because there's really a larger frame through which we need to see our lives in Christ. See, the Corinthians were all over, all over the map, and crazy doctrine, you know what it produces? Crazy action. Witness, crazy doctrine leads to crazy actions, So by maintaining a larger frame of mind, Christian contentment, writes Andrew Davis, a book I'm reading on contentment, um, published 2019, is, and I quote, Christian contentment is a sweet frame of spirit as opposed to bitter or sour. Ever met a bitter Christian? You talk about leaven that leavens the whole lump. Get a bitter, sour Christian in the body of Christ. It has a negative effect. Andrew Davis also wrote this. Okay, listen to this carefully. Zeal for holiness, okay? Zeal for, for holiness drives our sanctification. 
laziness and sinful complacency, fight it every step of the way. As Christians you haven't seen in church here, outside of being sick, feeble and whatnot, give them a call. Remind them they need to be under the word of God. They're slothful and they're lazy and you love them enough to tell them. Amen? So that I don't have to do it every time. <laughs> so then I'm always the bad guy. You do it. How about we'll start with y'all? Amen? So, having addressed those who are married to remain fully married, this is your station in life. You're married. You have a covenant with your spouse. You, 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 you owe one another full conjugal rights. Remain fully married. He now addresses those who have been married and are now widowed, those who've never been married, um, those who are married to an unbeliever, there's another station of life, and those who have been married um, but are now divorced, okay? Verse 8, I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Okay, so um, if people in these circumstances have the gift of celibacy, single, or having been widowed, then let them stay unmarried, Paul writes. The gift of celibacy, beloved, is a true spiritual gift from God. It's a gift of God given to some people, okay? But, verse 9, if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with Passion. See, Paul understands here that if you have been married, it may be difficult to resume a life of singleness. He understands. So, so those widowed and those who are single that, that have the gift of celibacy, they're exhorted to remain. If not, Go ahead and get married, but only in the Lord, right? Verse 39 where he says, only in the Lord. So it's chastity and singleness. It's faithfulness in marriage, plain and simple thus far, right? Okay, remain where you are. If you don't have the gift of celibacy, go get married. That's easy for you to say. Guys don't want to get married today. Guys need to wake up, some single, some single guys. These single, these single women, godly women, why are you so picky? <laughs> hey, man, can I get a witness, bro? <laughs> I know this guy, he's, he's been single, he wants to be married, and it, he's waiting for Miss America or something. He's like, come on, get on with it. <laughs> right? So if you can stay single... Paul will go on to say, um, staying single, remaining single, it, it simplifies your life, and you can pour your solo life into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So if you have the gift, serve God in your singleness. You know, a lot of people claim that, that marriage is the primary way that God sanctifies his people. It's not true. It's not true. It's one way. It's not the only way. When I read Galatians 5 with regard to the fruit of the Spirit, I don't see marriage as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Amen? Single people? Amen. 
That's not the only way he sanctifies us. And besides that, no one who's in Christ is truly single, for you are the Lord's. Amen? And there's no marriage in heaven, by the way. Did you know that? Jesus said, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven, Matthew twenty-two thirty. 30. I will comment, but I won't. <laughs> marriage in this life primarily serves to point us to the relationship that Christ has with his bride, the church. The church of Jesus Christ. So in the new creation, uh, at the consummation of the new creation, uh, the picture which marriage points to will be fully realized by us all who are in Christ. In the marriage supper of the Lamb and all of these beautiful pictures we have, earthly marriage points to that for the Christian, for the believer. So if singleness is your current station... Celebrate your singleness, amen? Celebrate it. Serve the Lord in it. If you have the gift of celibacy for now, praise the Lord for that. That may change in a few years when he changes your station in life and you meet some fellow or you meet some godly woman and now you want to become married. He'll change all that. He does that. Okay, now he's going to talk to the married people again, verses 10 and 11. Notice, I give instructions, not I, Okay, but the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? Quite simply, not I but the Lord means the very specific words of our Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry regarding marriage. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10. The wife should not leave her husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. In other words, what God has joined together, let no man separate. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So he, he's reiterating what our Lord taught during his earthly ministry here in verses 10 and 11. God hates divorce, don't divorce, with the exception of adultery. So cases for adultery warrants, does not require, does not require, but warrants a divorce. You know, di divorce, by the way, was remarkably easy and very common in Roman society in the days of Paul when he writes this epistle. So Paul, Paul says to the believers there, um, it should not be so with you, as our Lord has said. Amen? It should not be so. Now let me say this before we move on. Uh, if you're a, a believer um, you're divorced, and you struggle with failure um, in, in bad decisions of the past, complicated um, consequences in this area of life, and you feel some sense of shame here this morning, know this for certain. Um, uh, there's grace, the grace of God's forgiveness in this area as there is in every other area of life for those who are in Christ. Amen? Amen? Okay? You're a new creature of Christ. He, he's forgiven your sins, past, present, future. So, so you can move on, and you can move on without shame. Okay, Because I know these, these kinds of texts gets people's wheels turning. And then the devil comes in, and, and, he, and he speaks lies into your head, and then you buy into it, and, and you, you walk out as, as feeling less than 
the Christian on the other side of the room. Amen? So you need not entertain that, that type of that shameful thinking. God forgives and he cleanses and, and we move on. And we learn and grow. Amen? Amen? All right. Verse 12. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. Okay, pause. Okay, um, this I say, not the Lord. Okay, that does not mean that this is merely Paul's opinion. Okay, do we understand this? It does not mean this is merely Paul's opinion. Paul the apostle is not claiming less authority for his teaching. He is simply saying that this specific instruction was not directly addressed by our Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. The other stuff was. This was not. That's all he means by that. Are you with me? Paul's teaching is no less inspired than the very words of Christ himself. Perhaps you've heard someone say, I've heard, these people are irritating. I'm a red letter Christian. You ever heard that? Oh, I'm a red letter Christian. You know, the red letter Bible, the, the red letters are Jesus' words. They say, I'm a red letter Christian, meaning that they elevate the words of our Lord Jesus Christ um, above and beyond the authority of the other biblical authors. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. That is utter folly. If you do that, repent now. Amen? All scripture is breathed out by Almighty God. These men were commissioned by God to speak the very words of Christ himself. So Paul's instruction is just as authoritative as are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when he says, I say not the Lord, that's all he means by that. We have this? Amen. Red letter Christian. Okay, therefore, what follows stems from Paul's own apostolic authority, commissioned by God, called by Christ, instructed by Christ. And therefore, his words accord with the Holy Spirit of God. The God-breathed word right here, whether it's Paul or whether it's our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all his word. Okay, so then we wonder, well, what happens then in the case of those who marry before they become Christians, right? You have two pagans, they, they, they get married, and one spouse comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the other does not. This would have been very common in Corinth, um, even as it is in our present day, right? Two pagans get married, one comes to faith, the other does not. What about that, Paul? Remember, he's writing concerning these things concerning the things you wrote me about. So, if a Christian man is married to an unbelieving wife and she wishes to remain, is the instruction, with her husband, Paul says, do not divorce her. And the reverse is also true. Do not divorce him. So, the, the picture is not um, the unbelieving 
spouse, you know, spitefully remaining in the marriage in order to make life miserable for the believer. That's not the picture. If you're married and one comes to faith and your unbelieving spouse is pleased to continue as you are, remain married. In other words, Paul is placing the ball in the court of the unbeliever. If they want to stay, remain married, believer. Amen? And then he gives the reason why. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Okay, that does not mean, that does not mean that the unbeliever is saved by proxy through the believer. That, that's basic. That should be, you know, Christianity 101. He's simply saying, look, if your unbelieving spouse loves you and wants to stay with you, remain that way. That's your status. That's your station in life. Remain married. Why? Because you, believer, become the sanctifying instrument in their life. In other words, the grace that God pours out upon you, in you, through you, spills over into their lives. Beautiful picture, isn't it? That's why it's so important for a Christian married to a non-Christian to, to walk in the Spirit. So, the idea is this. Instead of the believer becoming defiled uh, by way of the unbeliever, the, the opposite is true. The, the unbeliever is actually sanctified, blessed through the life of the believer. For otherwise, notice, for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. The children of a spiritually mixed marriage, notice, are holy. Okay, now, I have to pause again. You have to pause in Corinthians because uh, many, many Christians take what Paul teaches here in the, in the negative and they apply it as positive, right? Like when you get the gifts of the Spirit and you know the tongues of angels, there's no such thing as tongues of angels. Paul was being sarcastic even if I do speak with the tongues of angels but have not love, then it's nothing, right? So they claim as they jibber-jabber, you know, haba baba booba biba they say, well, I'm speaking with the gift of tongues or the gift of angels. You, you, you get what I'm saying? That's why I'm pausing to say what he does not mean time and time again. Now, one thing that should be fairly obvious to all of us here is that this is not a proof text for infant baptism. Witness, credo-baptist, because certain paedo-baptists use this verse as a proof text for infant baptisms. Although the honest ones admit that context will not allow for that. Simply by way of Paul's appeal. Okay? And he's appealing to them, that is the children being clean, by virtue of the believing parent, not the sprinkling of water. Clear? clear. All right. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the children um, in a spiritually mixed marriage 
a pagan married to a Christian, received the overflow blessings of the believing parent in the same way that an unbelieving spouse does. That's all he's saying. In other words, it is not the unbelieving spouse who carries the ultimate sway in the household. It's the one set apart by God who has the spirit of God. In other words, it's the impact, it's the presence, it's the influence of the believer that sanctifies the household. You know, often within a spiritually mixed marriage, there is the worry that the unbelieving spouse will have the most effect on the children. Oftentimes the believer worries about that. You know, a kind of contaminating effect on the children. But Paul says just the opposite is true. Just the opposite. Okay, think of this. Prayers of a, of a believing mother What's more powerful, her prayers or, or the bad example of an unbelieving father? Y'all better say prayer, amen? Prayer, absolutely. Prayer of the believer, the witness of a believing parent carries much more weight than, than the bad witness of an unbelieving parent. You might not realize it in the here and now because children are gonna grow up remembering the bad and the good, Right? It's amazing how much bad they remember. <laughs> Kids, you remember that time that mom and I took you to wherever, you know, camping, and then we went to Disneyland, and then we went here, and then we went there, and then they bring up something about you losing your temper and throwing something across the room or some crazy <laughs> thing. <laughs> Things of eternal significance have much more weight and lasting impact um, more often than not than a bad example of an unbeliever. So that, that's basically what he says here. It's the believing spouse who carries the weight within the family. Now, Paul also realizes that there are um, situations that um, warrant some exception. So Paul moves from the ideal here. Okay, If your unbelieving spouse is willing to remain, stay that way. Stay married. And here now is a concession, a qualification. Um, Paul is indeed a realist, right? So he addresses what happens if the unbelieving spouse chooses to leave the believing spouse. Verse 15, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. So Paul's answer to this you know, sad situation is very simple. If the unbeliever takes the initiative, okay, again, if the unbeliever takes the initiative and, and leaves, the believing spouse is to let them do so um, and now no longer remains bound to them. The believer no longer remains bound to the unbelieving spouse who has abandoned the marriage. And the reason? God has called us to live in peace, he says. So in other words, believers, those who are believers, are not to create situations in which they seek to dissolve the marriage. If they want to remain married, then you stay married, since peace is the goal. 
peace within the household. But in those cases where um, the unbeliever deserts the believer, um, the believing spouse, you know, because of faith in Jesus Christ, Christ, he unites, but he also divides. In order to keep peace, let them go. Let them go. Paul uses the same language here, no longer bound, no longer under bondage, the same language he uses in Romans 7. He said this, verse 2. The married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. If her husband dies, she is released from being bound to that law. Paul's applying that principle here. If they abandon, if they depart, you're no longer bound, which obviously means you're free to remarry. Divorce is permissible, he says, in the case of abandonment because of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For the sake of peace, go ahead and let them go. You don't have to hunt them down and try to maintain this marriage when they want out of it. Amen? We see this? So if you're called by Christ... Okay, while you're married to an unbeliever and there's harmony in your marriage, do your best to maintain that peace. That's all he's saying. If the one wants to leave the unbeliever, let him go. Now, verse 16 um, is a bit harder to understand. Notice, for how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, there are two views on this verse. One is the so-called um, optimistic view, that the believer should remain, if possible, so as to bring about, through their own testimony and witness, the conversion of the other, because you just never know. Is that true? You, you never know. So some of you who are married to an unbeliever, you, your testimony before that unbeliever, you never know. They may come to faith and God may use your testimony as an instrument in bringing them to faith. You, you, you don't know. Now, while this view is desirable um, to a point, um, other commentators point out the fact that it doesn't flow with context. Okay? Paul just said that believers need not cling to marriages when, when the unbeliever wants to end them and with the context of flow there, um, how do you know whether you're saving? How, how do you know whether you'll save your wife? Therefore, if they want to go, let them go. You know, if you're under some notion that you, you might be the only person on the planet who can be an instrument of God to bring them to faith, okay, that, that's God's business. If they stay, they stay. If they leave, they leave. So you... you you can take the optimistic view if you want or the pessimistic view um, if you want. I actually think they both apply. I think they both apply. Okay, so the summary of becoming a Christian in the context of marriage, okay, and that's the flow of, of the chapter. In the context of marriage, becoming a believer, the summary comes to us in verse 15, 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. 
and so I direct in all the churches. This is your station of life. Remain in it. So should salvation change one's marital status? No. No. Walk in this manner. Okay, now that you're a believer, okay, if we go back to, to, to early, the early part of chapter 7, now that you're a believer, you, you don't have to give up the sexual union within marriage. You don't have to throw out your spouse now that you're a Christian. <laughs> if you're widowed and you want to remarry and you don't have the gift of celibacy now, remarry. If you're single and you have the gift of celibacy, serve God in your singleness. If not, get married. Is this simple? Very simple. Saving faith in Jesus Christ doesn't change anything with regard to your stations of life. And then he follows up with some analogies. Okay? That context, marriage, union, you know, divorce, remaining with or letting one go, all of that, verse 18. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He is not to become uncircumcised. Now, did you catch that? It seems pretty obvious if you're circumcised, you can't be uncircumcised. Okay, however, (laughs) however, (laughs) there are recorded instances of Jews disfiguring themselves in order to reverse circumcision. You can read about it in Josephus Antiquities, During the Maccabean Revolt, some of the Jews were doing just that to find favor in the eyes of Gentiles. Okay, now here's another cultural thing, Paul's day. In Greek gymnasiums and in Roman public baths, nudity was proper etiquette. Okay, it was actually um, a stylish pastime for men to stand around in the nude and discuss politics and even carry out business deals. Are you not glad you live in this day and not that? <laughs> that is so bizarre. I don't even like going into the like locker room at the gym just because of the, it's just whatever. <laughs> okay, now, in context to Greek gymnasiums, and you can read in Josephus, during the Maccabean Revolt, they wanted to build a gymnasium in, in, in Jerusalem. And this is what some of the men were doing. In order to fit in with Gentiles, many Jews practiced this reversal. I don't even know the details of it. I don't want you to know. And you can go study it on your own. But this is what they did. So as impossible as that seems, something like this must have been going on in Corinth. I don't know. But just the opposite was also happening. Notice, has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Right? If you're a Gentile and you didn't bear the the sign of the covenant that the Jews had, um, he is not to be circumcised. Verse 19, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping the commandments of God. Verse 20, each man must remain in that condition in which he was what? Called. So he uses this analogy It's just another illustration to remain where you are now that you're in Christ. Amen. People have complicated this chapter over and over again. And I just think if you just read the plain text, it's just simple. So if you were saved, you were married, 
it doesn't change. Remain married. Enjoy the benefits of marriage. If you're single, remain single. Does that mean you need to remain single all your life, single people? Of course not. If you have the gift, the celibacy, remain single. If not, get married. People are holding off marriage today. Used to get married when you're like 50 years ago. It was like you were 20, 19. My mom was 19. My, my dad, mom was 18 and my mom was 19. We were 21 and 22, something like that. Now I meet these people, they're in their 30s still single. And that's fine if you got the gift of celibacy, serve God in your singleness. Amen? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. If not, just go get married. Says Paul. Says Paul. I'm not telling you what to do. I'll never tell you what to do. I'll just tell you what the text says to do and not to do. But more than that, what Christ has done. Amen? That's the most important thing I want anyone to know is what Christ has done. Okay. So since God has called us to our, our stations in life, think of our vocation, right? We should remain there once we're called by Christ in saving faith, uh, unless, of course, that vocation um, is inappropriate for a believer. And in the case of the Corinthians, if you worked in a pagan temple, uh, you need to find a new job. Right? We know what went on in pagan temples. So find a new job. Um, I knew a man who came to faith, and he used to work the door um, at a kind of place that many um, men frequent. And he asked me, what should I do? And I said, you need to quit your job, dude. <laughs> you know? Inappropriate for a believer to be in that environment. Pagan temples here and so on. So you get the point. In the words of one writer, a commentator by the name of Barrett, he said this, A man is not called to a new occupation. Rather, his old occupation is given a new significance. Amen. Whatever you do. You know, people think, I have this friend. He's a music writer. He's a musician professionally. And he came to Saving Faith and uh, feeling pressure from, from his wife and others. He, he, he thought that he had to now become a pastor. Anything in scripture there? You better be called to the pastorate if you're going to be a pastor. So do your job now is unto the Lord, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Uh, verse 21, um, were you called while a slave? Hmm. Do not worry about it. But if you're able also to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who was called while free, he's now Christ's slave. Amen. Last night, we're teaching our grandson what amen means, and it just means in agreement. I agree. Amen? I agree. Amen. So be it. So be it. That's why I say amen a lot. If it's irritating, I'm sorry. Amen? <laughs> so in a, Paul's, look at Paul's advice. His advice is very practical. Gain your freedom, brother, if you can. You're a slave. You're called to Christ while you're a slave. If you can gain your freedom, do it. But this is your station in life so you can still serve Christ honorably while you serve your earthly master. That's what he says. 
You can serve Christ while serving your employer in whatever you do. So he said, don't, don't, you know what he says here? He says, don't trip. Don't be troubled. If you can gain your freedom, do it. Otherwise, don't, don't worry about it. Serve Christ where you are. Amen. Okay, so, so what do we say then by way of application? Verses 23 and 24 say it all. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Verse 24, brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Okay, let me pause and say once again, he does not mean that if you're a slave, that's somehow wrong. Otherwise, he's contradicting himself. Amen? All right. He's speaking metaphorically. And what, what Paul is saying, he says, don't let the opinions of men dominate your thinking. Because men in this world, they always claim wrongly that social standing is what matters most. Social standing is not what matters most for the Christian. Your position in Christ is what matters most because you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price, he says. Your identity in Christ is what matters, beloved. Who you are and whose you are. See, this is the battle that many Christians face right here. Social status, zip code, where you live, what you do. What do we, what's the first thing someone asks you? You know, you're in a gathering. What do they ask you? So what do you do? You know, we'll say, well, I'm a Christian and our, my social status um, doesn't matter, but. That but, that but will get you into a lot of trouble. Yes, I'm in Christ, but. And then that but leads to restlessness. That but can lead to all kinds of restless attitudes that can result in Christians never maturing. They never find contentment in their position in Christ. Because they listen to men and how important to them positions in this life are. Paul says, no. You might become restless in marriage. When you're not satisfied in Christ, you become restless in your marriage. So you begin to neglect your spouse. You withhold from them what is rightly theirs we covered two weeks ago. And it's down from there. Restless with envy. Wishing that we had someone else's calling and not our own. Right? That's the temptation? It is. So that, that restless sense, it, it comes from not knowing who you really are, and that undermines your ability to settle down. And you remember Augustine's famous prayer. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. In you. So then whatever you do, you can truly do to the glory of God. So our identity in Christ, notice, I'm almost done. You were bought with a price. Okay, remember that was the basis back in chapter 6? 
Verse 20, for fleeing from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality because you were bought with a price. And here, similarly, uh, this same identity, having been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, is the basis for not becoming the slaves of men. That is how they think. Status is everything. We're bond servants of Jesus Christ, purchased by the precious blood of Christ, which means we are joint heirs of all things in Christ now. Now. What you have when, when you go home to be with the Lord cannot even be described in Holy Scripture, and therefore we read it is what? Like. It is like. It is like. Beyond comprehension. Already yours in Christ. That's your true status. So you can change diapers to the glory of God. It's just as significant as what I'm doing up here this morning for the glory of God. And that will allow you, that frame will allow you to be content within your current station of life. So may we glorify God in that way. Amen. A lot of this comes from conviction um, of a book I'm reading by Andrew Davis on contentment, Christian contentment. So it shredded me first, and then once I get to you, I can just declare it. Amen. Because he's not done with me yet. This I know to be true. Now, if you're, you're an unbeliever and you're here and you're listening to this and you say, man, I've messed everything up in my life, welcome to the club. Amen? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Repent of your unbelief. Repent of your sinful rebellion. Run to Christ. Receive his righteousness in your place. Condemned he stood in your place. If you come to faith, you'll realize that he was crucified on behalf of you and placed upon your account is his righteousness. Therefore, there is no condemnation for all who are in Christ. And you die today in Christ, immediately you'll be ushered in to the presence of the Lord by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And this temple, I'm, I'm sorry, this table <laughs> represents that truth. You are now temple of the living God. Let's prepare to partake. Father, thank you for our stations in life. Forgive us for um, our dissatisfactions in life. And help us, like David, um, to be weaned within our own soul to know that Though we, we, we can't understand things that are beyond us, um, help us um, not to try to grasp um, those things which belong to you, that is the secrets of the Lord which belong to you alone. Help us to apply what we do know to our own lives for your glory, for the building up of the body of Christ, purchased by the precious blood of Christ. Amen.